Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Hello, Otterites! This is episode 155. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis sitting in the captain's chair over here. Being particularly bombastic. That's right. Well, bomb, well it's code of honor, boys. They, they're supposed to, they are quotations, great quotations that sing, that dance, that do puppet show stuff, whatever you need. Robin Williams there, by the way. Uh, but we, we haven't quoted Robin Williams very often. We should, we should definitely make it a point to put him into the, into the rotation here. But great quotations. That's what we're all about this episode. We've got some great stuff. We've already picked them out. Well, two of us have already picked them out. Actually, I think I may have mine. Depends on where the discussion goes. Oh, okay. Well, I just happened to flip open to one that I think just might fit. Yes. So, listeners, if you're new to us, what Code of Honor is, is the three of us pick out quotations, mm -hmm. something, someone literary or world leader-ish or whatever. Even has, an imaginary figure. I mean, yeah, has, has said that we think means something, that shines a light on the human condition. Francis and I go first. Yeah. And Robert, the hammer... Robertus Malleus goes last and tries to tie all of this together. And of course, the challenge for Francis and I is to have quotes that are so disparate <laughs> yes. that it makes it a challenge, <coughs> uh, uh, something difficult for Robert. But he is always, always in every ep episode, unfailingly been up to the challenge. That's well, right. I think there was just that one episode that I really struggled. You guys think I did a fine job on it, so I accept your, your verdict on that. Uh, but uh, for the most part, because we tend to go in similar paths from these quotes, you guys do make it somewhat easy on Well, we all like the same things. We, we, we tend to gravitate towards certain universal truths right. that you can just always, that everybody's always interested in hearing about. That's just a thing. That's just a thing. Yes. Our, uh, our, our uh, you know, what, what grabs us is a quote that enlightens the human condition. Mm -hmm. And focuses it on what can be great, usually, about humanity. That's right. And I'd like to think no, none of the three of us are crackpotish enough to pick something that's just out of the way saying, what the hell did that come from? All of our quotes have always been really spot on. We're excellent quote pickers. I would say so. Yeah, that's what I think. Perhaps we should get a History Channel yes. show. Well, and, and you know, the great thing about a, a quote from history is it really can be meaningful to your life. Oh, yeah. What people have said in the past can have meaning. It's a reason it has stuck around. Yeah, and, and that's that can be kind of an alien concept. I say this all the time, you know, in our TikTok, 24-hour news cycle, all Kardashian, all the time world. But what people have said in the past can be meaningful. Mm -hmm. open, so, open your experience to the idea of something... G.K. Chesterton said almost 100 years ago. Right. Just because some dead white guy said it doesn't mean you should automatically discount it. Yep. yep. That's right. Yeah. Wisdom is as wisdom is, boys. Right. Not that all wisdom comes from dead white guys. Oh, not at all. But the point is that any source can be a fount of wisdom. And if you discount it for whatever reason because it's not part of that all Kardashian all the time news cycle, you're really missing out on a lot. Truth is... Truth is. Truth is where you find it. That's right. It's, it's attractive. Truth is always Somewhat, attractive. yes. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that implies truth is somewhat uh, malleable, but... 
Mm. Well, which we have discovered is really not. Well, the case. you know, in a Nietzschean sense, it all depends on your perspective. That's very true. But you know my opinion on Nietzsche. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that is what makes this awesome. Yes. Yes, we've smacked Nietzsche more than a few times, uh, yes. and yeah. elevated him too. We've, yeah, we've, oh yeah. I, I I freely admit there are some good things in what he has written, uh, but I I find some serious flaws in what in his yeah. Uh, yeah. His work. But, you know, if, if you were a college student in the 60s looking to get laid, you could quote Nietzsche, and, and that's the strikes right. would come around. That's true. Very true. Very sexist of me, but that's kind of... Well, you throw in a little bit of Marx, and, you know, you're there. You're there. Yeah. You're in on it. Uh, I can, I'm pretty certain I don't think we'll probably ever quote from Karl Marx. Is that a safe assumption here? Um... I don't know. I honestly, I don't. I've read very little of him, so I don't know. There's probably because again, I said it in the last episode. Uh, what reformers get right, they're often very right about. Yeah. But the things that they get wrong, they are usually wildly Way wrong. wrong. Yes. So yeah, there's probably some good in Marx because he pointed out some real problems. That's right, and I, I think that might be an interesting one to try and uh, try and pull a good universally acceptable quotation out of such a polarizing figure. Uh, in, in modern yeah. society, or to expand it into other Marxist figures, I mean, there there are some truths to what they observe. Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know, they, would have, they is, would have never, they would have never gained traction for, with so many for so long if they were not. I mean, that's just not you know, it's, it, 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 uh, trying to pull the politics out and look for the universal truths. That's an interesting exercise. You have to focus on their observations and not on their conclusions. Yes. yes. Or proscriptions, either. Yes. <laughs> because they were very, very clear about all of that. But we're not going to go into that today. No, no, no. We're going to do something completely different. So you were going to lead off, right? I Francis? was going to lead off. That's correct. And right. uh, with it. Uh, we actually told each other our quotes. Well, Martin and I did. I mean, well, we often know what they are going into. Sometimes. 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 Which, some, uh, we've been known to just kind of pull them right out of whatever bodily orifice they happen to come right out of. And that's just where it is. But anyway, this one here's a good one. I'll give you a good one. So you're going to go first. I'm going to go first. As um, the captain, that is your prerogative. Uh, well, I just, I just kind of like to lay it out there. Uh, Captain's holiday. Yes. That's, that's, <laughs> that's correct. That's, that's, that's right. Um, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Arguably one of the great thinkers of our American experience. Yes. Uh, the flowering of New England. Certainly a philosopher, writer, author. Uh, well kind understood. Of the original, what do they call them, Brahmins? The original Brahmins, that's correct. Who, uh, in many respects, he's the one that kind of started that whole movement during that time that led to so many kind other of things. Thoreau follows on to him. He does. So Speaking of Thoreau, the boy, uh, the, the young prince, uh, just came back from Boston, his, his trip. They went to Walden. Oh, went to Walden Pond. Oh, yes. wow. Loved it. Absolutely adored it. Fantastic. Thought that was one of the best parts of the trip. Well, that's great because to be able to understand the concepts and the ideas that Thoreau put forth in just that one work, it's powerful. Well, don't know that he he, he does that, but he definitely loved the the site. Okay, well, <laughs> it's a beginning anyway. We'll try that anyway. But uh, <clears throat> mixed up in all that, Ralph Waldo Emerson, very quotable in many many ways, uh, and we uh, I don't think we may have used him once or twice. I don't, I don't no, think I so. First time. I don't think so. But he's not do. somebody I would have gone to. So, go for it. Uh, I'm a little bit more gloomy. 
Oh, that's right. It's, it's a dark and bitter like your soul. I believe it's how you like your coffee. Yeah, I like my coffee black and bitter like my that's soul. That's it. That's yes. right. That's, that's, make sure I get that quotation right. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking about that last night. <laughs> yes, whenever I pick up coffee, if I haven't put the sugar in, I look at it. Oh, Martin's been around here. Let's fix that. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Uh, my quotation from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Simple, actually, guys, and I think you'll like this one here. Life is a succession of lessons which must be lived to be understood. I'll repeat it. Life is a succession of lessons which must be lived to be understood. The reason I picked this quotation out, and one of the things that I do, and uh, Robert, you do this too, uh, in, in one of the vocations that we have as pastoral counselors, we we speak to folks who are at very low points in their lives, particularly it's those who have, who have lost loved ones in particular. The funeral aspect goes through that. And it may be somebody that gets a, a, a diagnosis of a, of a terminal illness or a, someone in, in grief or who knows what all those those actions are. Or even are. personal demons. Very much so. That's correct. Addiction issues within families. I've talked to many folks with regards to People about to get married. Oh, no, wait. That's the other side. That's right. <laughs> No, this is in a different this is a different context here. And I was thinking about this this week, and I don't remember what one of those incidents that brought that to, 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 to light for me. And I was thinking of so many times, unless you know what to say, most people say probably the absolute wrong things in those moments because yeah. they don't know what to say. Yeah, is, yeah. There's so many. It's one of those things that you don't have to say anything. But if you do say something, say anything except this little list over here. Don't say those things. And there's a list of those. Start it, I'm sorry, and then stop. Well, that's exactly right. I'm, and I'm one of those that, issues but... was that people say all the time is, I know how you feel. And that is an absolute barefaced, bad, bad lie. Because you Well, don't. it's not a lie in the sense that you know people... In the midst of that, they often think they do. Well, that's correct. That's right. But yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not known as a lie. It's yeah. not malice. It's, it, it is an untruth. Maybe that's a better yeah, way of putting it. Yeah. It is a total it, untruth. Yeah. Because our, our, our grief is always unique. That's exactly uh, where I'm Just because this. you've lost a, a father doesn't mean that it's, uh, any way it's the same as the loss of my father. I might have been close to my father. You might not have. You might have hated your father. Uh, and the reason you're sad is you didn't get to tell him off. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And that's and that's kind of what this why this quote really spoke to me is because we so often dismiss the idea that for all the similarities we all possess as human beings, there are certain things that are absolutely unique to each individual person, and to attempt to dismiss those is a great crime. Yes, uh, you have to have experienced it to understand it. That's what Emerson is saying. You have to have lived it in order to understand it. We can empathize, and that's an att- and empathize is a good attempt. But empathy and understanding are not the same thing. Right. Uh, see, what I take out of that uh, is that life is not an intellectual exercise. Very good. I like that way of putting it. That darn, he hammers it even early in this episode. Because uh, the series of lessons, if you have not lived those lessons... Uh, I think the implication of that is that uh, is that you have worked through the lessons. Okay. Yeah. The, because the quote is just very... as I see that you've done something stupid, and I'm actually pointing between the two of you, so somebody, you know, neither one of you did something stupid. Yeah. Although that's probably not true. I'm sure we all have done something stupid. Uh, 
Um, either way, uh, you know, just because I see that somebody has done something doesn't mean I've learned from that. Well, that's right. That's right. And we've discussed that before. Sure. Uh, well, you may have learned something, but you've maybe not learned, you've certainly not learned the same thing that those who experienced yes, it did. Ex- experiential right. learning versus observational learning. We've, we've discussed at length with other quotes. Right, right. And it, it's a it's a huge difference. Huge difference. Very much and, so. You know, this is I think this is a truism that is is one of those rare ones in that it's a universal truism. That's what attracted me to the quotation, and that's why Emerson was spot on with that. Uh, experience is a unique teacher. Right. Uh, it, it is, and and to tr- and I guess my extrapolation of it is stop trying to put yourselves in the other person's shoes in areas where you can't possibly. Yeah, that's I a mean, disservice to the person and what they're going through. It's actually easier than that anyway. Very much so it is. Again, that's just you don't have to that that famous saying about walk a mile in someone else's moccasins. Well, yeah, but it's really it's simpler than that. Just, it is. Just be kind. That's right. Just you be know, kind and say, I'm so sorry to hear that. Pay attention. Don't be a jerk. Jerk. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the human experience comes down to don't be a dick. I mean, right. I mean, it's the, as I've often said, the gospel can be, in a very crude fashion, boiled down to, much of it is boiled down to that. Don't be a dick to each other. That's right. You know, in practice. That's, I mean, obviously there's a lot more to that, but in practice with one another, that, that is... And, and we could talk a long time on how you do do that well. And Martin, you nailed it very well. I am so sorry. Yeah. And, you know, uh, and I usually don't even refer to what they're going through. I don't, you know, I don't even say, I can't know what you're going through. I usually don't even say that. I says, usually it's, you know, whatever you're going through, just know you don't have to be alone. We're here right. for you. That I'm sort of sorry. Thing. And if there's anything I can do to help you... I'll do it. Yeah, and mean that. Because that's that's often a cliche, too, where somebody will just say that. But if you actually got a call, well... Unfortunately, almost no one ever takes anybody up on that. That's right. That is one of the... It's become a cliche sometimes. Well, true, but But it's... Hopefully, though... It does have meaning. Yeah, well, hopefully, when ministers say it, we mean it. Well, that's right. I I, try to. That's Uh, when you slide your card and say, I mean, this is what we do. Seriously, we're here for you. Uh, but and if you're not comfortable talking to me because of our relationship, then let me find you someone. That's right. correct. You know, but you know, again, I think it goes. I think your quote goes beyond uh, grief. That absolutely. That's just an easy because, example. Uh, you know. Yeah, I just don't want to get caught up in that because um, you know lessons. Uh, that life is a series of lessons that must be lived uh, to be learned from is very true in the sense that. Uh, even in practical matters, uh, you can tell me how to ride a bike, but until I get on it and start pedaling and trying to stay upright, I can't understand uh-huh. how to ride a bike. You can teach me how to write a book, but as we can tell you, <laughs> it is not the same thing. You have right. to actually do the work. Right. Uh, and, and that's some of what Emerson's talking about here is that experience is a major teacher but it's also putting it. There's an implication that you're doing the work in right. that. That well, you're putting often, in the time. As we've often talked about it, you know, um, we are human beings. Being uh, and part of that is, you know, we are incarnate, mm-hmm. which means we have to act in the physical world, and that's true of every aspect of life, including learning from the past. Uh, if we don't apply these things. 
you know, applied learning is far more powerful than stored knowledge. You know, this one, it, this follows on very well to mine from last month, my PJ O'Rourke about, I like to think of anything stupid I've done as a learning experience, it makes me feel less stupid. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's, you're right. That's, 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 that's that is exactly, and, I did, and I did not make that connection. But you're exactly right. I mean, it's talking about, well, Don Henley's famous for this. Hotel California is that. You know, people ask Henley all the time, what's it mean? He says it's about the journey from innocence to experience, and that's all it is. It's just a really cool way of doing it. And there's also an implication there that you can't go back. Once you once you are at the experience level, you you lose a certain degree of innocence. That's true. Uh, it's like if, you can check out, but you can't leave. That's right. what he's talking about. Uh, it's... The way I I like to think about something like that is that uh, knowledge brings its own responsibility. That's right. So, for instance, uh, I remember uh, a discussion with uh, uh, somebody. I was at church uh, learning how to do something. I don't know if it might have been to be an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion. This is back before I was ordained. Um, And the person who was going over the process and right. what it meant, all the stuff that we had to go through, which is kind of silly because most people who were there should have already known all this stuff, although in today's church that's not always true either. Yeah. But they were talking about how they were telling people all these different things that they had to know. Like, for instance, what happens if you spill the precious blood? Or what about this? And one guy tried to say, no, 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 don't tell me about any of that because if you tell me, then I'm responsible for it. He understood very well uh-huh. That once you have the knowledge, that's right, you are beholden to that truth, because we should all be beholden to the truth, mm-hmm. because you know, as we like to say, you know, truth is truth. We believe in in real truths, not just an objective truth. Yeah, yeah. an objective truth. There is truth. such a thing. Yeah. Now there is a there is in a sense there is a subjective truth in the sense that how I understand the truth uh, is very subjective. Because, sure, because the, sub, the subjective understanding is always less than the yeah. objective truth itself. That's basic. Um, as opposed to Martin's Nietzschean way of looking at things with, you know, well, you know, I make my truth. Or how did you, how did you put it in the show trap? Not, not I make my truth, but... Well, you're, to Nietzsche, truth is a function of power. True, yes. Whoever has the power gets to decide what the truth is. Yes. Uh, yeah, the golden rule is he who owns all the gold makes all the rules. Yeah, uh, that's in, very Nietzschean, yes. Yes. Um, and it's not necessarily a statement of that's the way it should be, but it's, it's a, a statement of, is. Yeah, is. A, of what you know the reality of our lives is. Right, and not to tie Hitler to Nietzsche because the the, the Nazis did that uh, badly anyway, yeah. and, and and fraudulently uh, in many ways. Uh, but you know, Hitler is a great example of he who has the power makes the truth. That's right. How bad? Not just that, the rules, the but truth. the truth. That's yes. right. That's a very good uh, example. Well, and the church in in the past uh, has has done it badly as well. Sure. Uh, the church should be the guardian of truth, not the uh, uh, not perverting it in any way. Right. So, but anybody with power tends to do this uh, because, as as we know, <clears throat> as Lord Acton said, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right. I thought that was William T. Riker. No, 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 sorry. Lord Acton. Yes, that's right, yes. Uh, and it's it's one of the great quotations uh, that we've not really explored. We should probably put that one on the, in, in the oh, That would be a good one just for its own episode. Yeah, that, might, yeah, episode. that might be, it's, yeah, the, the well, special really edition on that yeah. one anyway. 
But anyway, do we want to turn it over to Martin then to, to I talk think we sufficiently pummeled the expired equine? Yeah, I believe so, and I believe it's a good spot before we proceed. Oh, I like to do the... Oh, you we want to do two and then do... Yeah, that's, okay. that's yeah. our norm. All right. Yeah, that's what we usually do. Excellent. It's All a right. good, uh, not palate cleanse, but a good moment for a summary. Uh, yeah, take a breath. All right, so I am uh, at Orwell. <laughs> George, not his brother Fred. Eric Blair, George Orwell. And if this is one that is is in the back of my mind probably all the time, but recent events bring it to the forefront, and uh, you know when you stumble across it, you go, "Oh yes." So, if liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they do not want to hear. Really. If liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they don't, don't want, want to, to hear. hear. Yes. That yeah. doesn't imply that you have to be listened to. No. But it, you have the right to speak it. Exactly. More as long as yes. is Well, yeah. It, and, of course, for Orwell, as a journalist and writer, freedom of speech that's what it, is yeah. at the core of all liberty. Yes, yeah, that's know. what he's speaking of here, and he's talking about that's freedom of thought, the, the the pure freedom of speech, which implies freedom of thought, and it's not those strange exceptions you can't yell fire in a crowded theater, etc., etc. Et right. Talking about true freedom of speech without going off onto those right, even if you're reasons. stupid, I mean, even if you're insane uh, or horrible, uh, you know, a, a disgusting human being, you still have the right to say disgusting things without uh, penalty. Right. I always like to say you're guaranteed a voice, not an audience. That's correct. That's right. You know, uh, you can say horrible things. We have the right then to ignore you. Or we, say other things back to you. Right. Or, or disprove you. But we don't have the right to silence you. Or cancel you. Uh, the, I was wondering if that As the current, uh, you know... Well, what, what is the current idiom, I guess? One, is, another one. Uh, idiom, one yes, idiom. Idiom, sorry. One should be allowed to speak as they see fit without fear of repercussions? Well, no, no. No, that's no. not true. Because see, no. cancel culture is it, is it is a form of repercussion. Right, I mean, you have... It is a reaction. Yes, I mean... You have to define say, repercussion because yes. if you say stupid stuff that offends me, I don't have to, to buy your cakes out of your bakery. I can go to the one down yeah, the street. That's right. That's right. right. I mean, and, and that's, that's a repercussion. Absolutely, because right. I'm and trying to say there are always repercussions yeah, I mean, if you to what we say. Whereas your employer, your employer then has the right to say, look, you can't work here anymore. Uh, yeah. Or I, I, I take I a that, position right. that is contrary to the employer's stated positions. Right. right. Well, but it's, again, it's, that depends. Right. It's governmental repercussions. Ah, okay. Well, even some societal repercussions yeah. uh, are, are an issue because... That's what I'm trying to get at is, you know, we, the, where are those glasses? Since you strong? brought up cancel culture, yeah. um, you know, let's talk about uh, uh, deplatforming uh, is probably yeah. the, the biggest problem now. So, on the one hand, Facebook famously, to, to get out from under any lawsuits, has put forth the idea that, well, we're just a platform. We, we don't control what anybody says. But in the last several years, that's no longer true. They are not a platform anymore. They are an editor. They provide editorial right. if, oversight. If you are going to be a platform, then you got to stay hands off of everybody right. else's stuff. 
Right, but once you become the arbiter of what is allowed on the site, you should be able to be sued for things. That is correct, because essentially you are controlling the content. Yes, you are saying, I approve of this, I disapprove of this. Now, they couch this as, well, this is not true, therefore it's not right that we should let that go. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. No. It's the same thing. Yeah, again, it's telling people what they do not want to hear. Right. Whether what you're telling them is right or not. I mean, no, I don't want to hear stuff that's stupid. But you should have the right to tell me stuff that's stupid. Or at least try to tell me. Or try to tell me. Right. If you, if you can buy the, the channel, right you know, you're not entitled to a channel or a forum. Right. And, if, you you know, can, if you can get it, you're yeah. welcome to use it. Well, yeah. and part of the problem with places like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, there's only a handful of social media platforms. And yes, every once in a while a new one will pop up. But that's very rare, and very quickly they get bought out by somebody else, so it becomes essentially an extension of the other players. Yeah, if if it has any traction at all. Yeah, it's hard to gain traction <coughs> against a direct competitor that can just kind of, that's right. established and bury you. Right, because I mean, think about uh, Tumblr. It used to be huge. I mean, it's still around, but it's it's a very niche thing now. Yeah. Uh, and, and things like, and of course, MySpace is, actually, I think that is still around, but again, it, it is so inconsequential that most people think it's gone. But I think you can actually go to MySpace still. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think I tried that once, but it was a long time ago, and I don't remember what the result was, but I got to a site. Um, but part of the problem with with that attitude is, as well, you know, free market. You guys are free market, guys. But when you have become a monopoly, there is no free market. That's right. The word free just went away. Well, no, market went away. Well, I yeah, think. market went away. Market is what went away. And how do you, you know, what's the prescription? How do you break up a monopoly that is a voluntary association? A vol- yeah, uh, it's well, it's it, not like they're the only player in the marketplace, but it's the only player that anybody uses. Right. Essentially, and each one has a particular function. So if you look at uh, TikTok, apparently that function is just to share stupid videos. Uh, I've never been on TikTok. I don't know. Uh, Instagram is about started to be pictures, gram as in you know, uh, in short messages, and you know, Pinterest is about pin uh, is is that's not actually mostly about pictures. Um, you know, Facebook is more about connecting with friends and family. Although originally started out as a uh, uh, way to find hot women on college campuses, but that's another story. Uh, you know, Twitter is about um, uh, just nonsensical short messages. Yeah, I mean, it's text messaging everyone at once. Exactly. Uh, so, it, you know, each one of these platforms has a different audience and focus because of what they do. There really isn't a real alternative to any one of these uh, for the yeah. function that they it, provide. Each is, each is different from the other. Just but different enough. So just different that, enough that there's not a whole lot of platform. Right. Out, like right. I mean, if you but, if you break up Facebook, what would you split off? Right. There, there, would you yeah. split off marketplace? Maybe, but then if it's disconnected from Facebook, what's the point? So, uh, when you are the, and if you think about it, every one of these is inevitable that it becomes a monopoly, or that's not that they did, but that something would tends towards because. Yes. Everybody who likes that form of messaging and content wants to be where everybody else is because that way you've got the most chances of connecting with people you want to connect with. Right. So right. it's going to eventually. Right. I mean, this. there's a reason that 
advertisers are there. There's a reason that authors, Brad Thor, Bernard Cornwell, are there. That's where you're going to reach people. Right. You're not going to reach people on MySpace. Exactly. Exactly. So. You know, you might go to Goodreads to read to you know as an author. Uh, you know, but the, again, those are ve- are are very niche. You know, and there's a couple of new conservative ones that have started up since uh, the 2020 election. Uh, and I, you know, they're floundering. Uh, I would presume because they're just not even in the news anymore. Uh, so it's very difficult to even come up with a different niche because you're still doing the same kind of stuff. Yeah. And if you don't get enough of your friends and family to follow you, you're going to end up back where you started. So once you become dominant, um, so it's very difficult to not have that sort of thing. And when they start controlling it, that's the problem. Yeah. Because it's usually, it looks arbitrary, but it's not. It's usually done from an ideological perspective. Whether, whether the editor admits it or not, the editor, it's human nature. It's what we are. You're going to have a perspective, and you're going to edit based on that perspective. I mean, if you're a Fauci fan, you're going to decide that everything anti-Fauci is, oh, that's just not true. Right. And you're going to censor it. Every word out of Trump's mouth is a lie, or every word out of Biden's mouth is a lie. Uh, yeah, or, that, or better yet, every word out of Biden's mouth is coherent. Uh, <laughs> or out of Harris's mouth, or out of Jen Psaki's, or whoever. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's very important to understand, and, and Orwell, again, he is coming at it from the perspective of a journalist, but he's not wrong. Freedom of speech is at the core of what we consider to be human liberty. It is. Well, if you go back to uh, our last episode, uh, freedom of speech, in many ways, flows from that freedom of religion. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, when you think about... Es- espousing a religion is a speech. It is. Mm-hmm. And when you think about laws, they all come from a religious background. Uh, e- even if you go back to the, to the oldest laws ever written, they were going to have been about, because our gods say this is what we should do. Yep. Uh, yep. So, you know... If you don't have this, you're not going... Because there really isn't much more fundamental to a person than that. Either the right to either believe or not believe, mm-hmm. uh, as you so wish. Because that's entirely within you. Speech is something you say to someone else. If I say, I can say whatever I want to in an empty room. If nobody hears, it doesn't matter. I'm safe. <laughs> that's the truly, truly the only safe space is an empty room. Yeah. Uh, but mm-hmm. we're talking yeah. about... Soviet Union, that wasn't even true because it was often bugged, depending well, on Well, then it's not an empty room. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it, that is very fundamental, that, uh, not just to liberty, but uh, to, to everything. Yeah. Really, to yeah, everything. You have to be able to tell people what they don't want to hear, whether it's right or wrong. I and mean, we focus kind of on the wrong, but, you know, Orwell would have. Well, it's he would have been about the right. Right. What's right, and you're trying to ignore what's right as a person in power. Um, that would have been his focus, but we, of course you know, now it's been it, perverted. It you're trying to ignore what's right as one of the peons when I'm telling you as a person in power yeah. what is right and true. So it's it's kind of been turned on its head. Yeah, and and in, you know the corollary is then that also you know the right not to believe you because you are a person in power coloring the truth to fit your power, to right. bolster your power. Right. 
And yeah, does that mean that some people are going to disbelieve things that are true? Yeah. Uh, are some people going to believe things that are false? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Be more persuasive. Be more I mean, persuasive. Yes, lesson. but I mean, no matter what, there's always going yeah. to be that. Because yeah, but that's that's part of the corollary is you can't just walk out and state something and then say, "Well, that's that I'm right." So. Um, you're going to jail. Yeah, you're or going to shut down Siberia. the economy because I'm right. No, convince us. Per, be persuasive. Discuss well, it. In, in, persuasive in, 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 in the intellectual sense, not the uh, exercise of power sense. Yes. Yes. Well, yeah. That's, that's the way that in, in a democratic society, little d, that's the only way this works. You have to persuade fifty-one percent of your truth. As being Honestly, true. it helps if you persuade a lot more than that. That's correct. That's right. Because uh, that's part of the problem now is that uh, all we all people strive for anymore is that 50.1%. And even not so much that anymore because there's just enough other players to where about 45% is all you need. Uh, which is a danger unto itself. That's right. Because many people's views are not represented with that. Right. Well, you know, there was a time when even if you didn't agree, you could understand. Right. And you'd be willing to work with and hopefully modify. And that's part of the thing. That implies there is a back and forth. That's right. There is there, there is an exchange of ideas until right. we can there is an There is compromise. There is collegiality. There is respect and uh, an attempt to forge from the various groupings a consistent, cohesive, yeah. coherent we've, we've worldview. Yeah, I mean, we've sacrificed all of that. Mm-hmm. Or pop because yeah. we can't stand to be out of power. Yes, that's ultimately it. Yeah, yeah, we can't stand for our side to be out of power. Well, because power so, means something. Yeah, it, it's, whereas it hasn't always in in. Oh in, no, it has. Well, yes, power but is all, there is there have always been those who sought power for power's sake. No, that's not what I mean. But well, you're no, right. I, no, yeah. I'm, I'm getting there. Uh, there have always been those who sought power for power's sake, and those who would follow them. But what has happened is that that approach, because and that's really probably most politicians, yeah. but they have now convinced almost all of their followers that that's how to operate. Yeah. And so it's not just a thing at the top, because probably leaders of movements kind of have to have some of that approach, mm-hmm. because otherwise, how are you going to lead a movement? Right. But once everybody under you has that approach... It goes back to what we always talk about. The other side is evil and must be destroyed. Yeah, you have to frame everything as a disaster that must be addressed now. Yes. It's always, I win, you lose, you win, I lose. Politics has become that zero-sum game where if I have the pizza, you're left with the box. And nobody can look past, well, you know, this cycle, past this cycle... We have our chance. We can, right. we can make a coherent argument. It, nobody does it anymore. It's always, it's immediate. It's right now. And our attention span is so short. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's so, you know, right here on our nose that we just can't, you can't wait. You can't have perspective of waiting. It's kind of what I was attempting it, to talk about. It's, it's got to be right now. In, in a, in a, Democratic society with properly balanced checks and balances, then all the power or great enormous pieces of the power are spread further amongst yeah, groups it's more, and things it's like more that. Diffuse. It, diff- it diffuses is a very much word. That has slowly gone away where 
and a lot of this resides in the executive branch, but the others have their own portions of it. The power that they wield now over so many is far greater yeah. than it once was. So therefore, oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of modern legislation, Congress gave up its prerogatives to the executive. The yes. way they write legislation, explicitly so. Yeah, we don't want to be bothered with the details. You set a regulatory agency to take care of it. Right, and that gives the executive leeway to essentially rule by executive order. Yes. I mean, cause Which is fiat. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's Which fiat, and, and there's so little legislation that happens now, but Congress did that willingly. They don't want to Because they're a bunch of lazy MFers. Well, because they would rather investigate the other side... Well, yeah, there's else. more important work to do than the business of the country. That's investigating our opponents. That's correct. And that's kind of where it is, and that's where we reach that short attention span is when you are not in power, there's only one thing you do. It is deny whatever the other side says. Right, which is very much the denial of their right to speak. That's right. Yeah. That's right. You, you, you claim everything they say is a lie. Right. Now, that's not to say that there aren't valid investigations into our opponents. That's right. Because for the most part, when it comes to politics, uh, it is often our opponents that are the only ones that will hold the other side, our side accountable, and vice versa. Yeah, and that's uh, not to say that there are not compromises that are made, particularly in the legislative branch, because you not got, so much anymore. It, it, but it does happen still. It does. Right? It has gotten less and less and less, it's, and that's one of the reasons when it does happen, the leaderships both say, "Well, yeah, look, look at what we did. We did this bipartisanly," and we all say, "Well, that means probably yeah. nothing then." Well, yeah, your definition of bipartisan is often, you know. All of the Republicans or all of the Democrats and one guy from the other side. That's right. Yeah. Which again, silencing one of the other sides. When it, when only one party votes for something, and, and I don't care which side it is, that's probably a bad bill. It's probably a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or so, perhaps even unnecessary. Well, I think much of what they pass is unnecessary. Yeah. But uh, so, shall we break it? Yes, I believe so, sir. Let's do a bourbon break. Rock and roll, you're the captain. I am the Ayatollah of rock and roller, as they say. Don't you guys love that quote? You guys know where that comes from. The road warrior. The Lord Humongous. That's right, of the desert. Just walk away. Just walk away. Anyway, uh, folks, if you haven't seen that movie, fantastic movie, back with Mel Gibson when Mel Gibson was young and, and uh, still spoke with Australian accent pretty bad. And not a weirdo. And not a weirdo. Okay, we could do that. He was probably a weirdo, just hadn't been fully developed yet. That's yeah. right. Well, yeah. he, was a, he was a larval weirdo. There you go. That is a very interesting way of putting that, sir. I, I, I salute you for such great things. <clears throat> but I'll also salute the, the bourbon that I've got because uh, when we're over here at Roberts, he, he said to me when we started, he says, you know, I'd like to polish off a few of these bottles so I can go buy new ones. So anything you can do to help me with that? And I'm happy to do that with his Maker's Mark 46. I yes. poured the last bit into this here glass. I'm enjoying it neat. And uh, I had forgotten the, the sweetness but it is not the same sweetness as the standard Maker's Mark. Right. The 46 is a higher level bourbon than a standard Maker's. Yes. And uh, I know we've often, I don't want to say we, we've dissed on Maker's Mark. Uh, I think it's a fine bourbon. As many folks would say, it, it's, it's a great mixer. And some folks would you know, perish the thought of mixing bourbon at all. But it's, it's, it's extremely popular. It's one of the biggest in the world. And yeah. for, for, for all the right reasons. And, you know, probably if... We weren't so busy trying so many other things. We'd probably be fine drinking Makers anytime. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but it is almost just so ubiquitous. I almost It's almost like a rebellion against the ubiquitousness of it. Yeah. 
and, and that's for that's a, a tribute time, to their success because yeah, they have for been for a long very, time it was one of the few independent players. Yeah, most brands were part of a portfolio of a, a, a you know. So a, yeah, a and I applaud their marketing. Brilliant marketing. I think they are one of the most brilliant marketers in that sense. Mm-hmm. That red wax, or when they do another color for a special run, uh, which makes it even better uh, as a marketing tool. It's just brilliant. That's right. It is so well recognized. Yeah. Uh, and the quality of the product is there. There's no oh, question yes. as to that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was always thought of as the premium when everything else was 12 bucks. Right. But it is, in, in quality, it just has been surpassed. Yeah. Well, the the the, uh, the manufacturer and the marketing of the industry has changed a lot, too. Yes. That's yes. Just, and that's just a, a... Well, they have their niche, and it works for them. That's know, they have to become a, a small batch brewer of different bourbons. They do just fine the way so, they are. There was no such thing 30 years ago. You know, they right. were, that's just, everything was, was large. And actually that amounts. 46, you know, that's the attempt to, to branch out and mm-hmm. it is a good bourbon. Indeed. Enjoying it very, very well now. It's, it's an, it's a throat bourbon. It's where it's, this one goes. It's not a slightly if it is esophageal and I'm not a fan of those. When they go down the esophagus, that burns for me. I don't like that. Oh, yeah, that's one of the ones I like the best. Oh, no, that's not... That's, that's not a big. Kentucky hug when you get that warm right oh, in your chest. That's awesome. Kentucky I don't hug. like that as much. It just it, and it's just, it reminds me of heartburn too much. Uh, I much prefer the, the upper palate. The, the sinuses and the, and the throat and I the like mouth. I like sinuses it's probably the least. Throat. Interesting how we're yeah, different on that. Get up here in the sinuses, that's... Yeah. Cleans yeah. me out. I interesting. Yeah, that's very a, interesting. I, I never realized that we were so different on that. Well, again, you know, uh, when you when you drop some ice into one of these, it does change things. So, yeah, you know, wouldn't necessarily change where the burn happens, but how it affects those areas does change. And what do you have, Robert? So I am drinking the uh, the last of my basil hate. Good. So we've we've knocked down two bottles for you. Today. Yes, yes. So we've got two well other ones uh, uh, taken care of, which is a fantastic thing. And of course, you know the Basil Hayden, as we all know, this is this is our original bourbon for us. Mm-hmm. This is where we really got our start. Numero uno, uh, the Wellspring. Yes, the Fountainhead. The Fountainhead. Oh, very good. Yeah. <laughs> Snakes and otters. Uh, it is uh, okay. Uh, it's, we're not we're not a room full of randians. No, no, we are no, not. not. We are no. not. Um, but it, you know, it's just so smooth. Uh, it really yeah. is. I just I, I love the smooth bourbons. I mean, I, I love where that that burn great, takes place. That bite, yeah, a lot of great oaky flavor to but it. Yeah, the flavor's so good. It's it's for all the flavor and the the warmth that it provides. It's still it's mellow and it's just not harsh. It's just such a quality bourbon. And it still amazes me that you know you can have it for thirty five dollars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it really. Could be I mean, gloriously amber, just wonderful. It's a rich color. That's right. It's it's um, one of our it's, standards. It's just phenomenal. Yeah. I had a uh, a glass of your seventeen ninety two. Quite a bit of ice. Oh yes, yeah. so what you're drinking. I didn't I didn't know yes. what you poured. Yeah, yeah. I grabbed the seventeen ninety two. It's very mellow. Uh, a little bit of licorice, a little bit of cinnamon to me. Um, just wonderful on the tongue and and nice and warm in the chest. Good Kentucky hug, and. Uh, that was that was super. That's a nice nice little lube for talking about George Orwell. So, yeah, yeah. Well, bring, you know, bringing and, lubricity. Shall we say? Uh, for Code of Honor, I think uh, you know that's one of the reasons I went to Basil Hayden. I wanted to get uh, one of our, our really high end quality bourbon. What well, we it's, price wise, this is not high end, but quality no, yeah. wise, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, because uh, I think when, we're, when we talk Code of Honor, we need the really good stuff out. Amen. So. Tie us up there, uh, Robert the Hammer. 
All right, so uh, if you guys would repeat your quotes so that everybody has that fresh in their minds. All right. If liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they do not want to hear, George Orwell. And Francis? Oh, you can't ask me that because I don't remember where it, what I did with it. It did, Oh, sorry. Sorry. I Life it. is a series of lessons. That's right. Learned. It has to be learned to experience, lived to be experienced, Ralph Waldo Emerson. That's yes, correct. okay. So, uh, actually, it took me no time at all to find this quote. Uh, I just happened to, to open my book uh, to this particular section, and I thought it was especially appropriate because our next episode is Cal Coolidge, Silent Cow. It's a quote from Silent Cow. Oh, well, I love this. I so it's a little Give foreshadowing. Me. Me. Right. good. So there are only two main theories of government in our world. One rests on the righteousness, uh, one rests on righteousness, and the other on force. One appeals to reason, and the other appeals to the sword. One is exemplified in the Republic, and the other is represented by despotism. Now, I love this quote. Uh, I saw it immediately. I was like, oh man, this is some great stuff. You could write, you know, a hundred thousand word essay based on, on oh, this. Yeah. I mean, that's really, that's the, that's you know, so often the struggle. the great struggle. thing about that, in, in reading a little bit about Coolidge, that's really something he believes. That's not throwaway stuff in some speech right. at a nominating convention. That's really wound through his whole psyche, is that idea of, there really are, there's two trends yeah, and, and we're one of them, and really everything else is the other trend. No matter what else you claim, you know, you're know you either based on reason and righteousness and give the people voice, or you're not. There right. is no third way. The famous third way. There is no third way. There is no third way. Everything, no matter what else, and, and, and you know, in his career, in his in coming up, he's dealing with... The emergence of Marxism, yes, as a the emergence of fascism, and, and you know Bolshevism, whatever you want to call it. Well, yeah. So which... I mean, he he sees that his experience is also he knows history, right? He knows. Well, he's just seen the result of a, a uh, uh, the old style of despotism in World War One. Yeah. Uh, so right. yeah, he's very he familiar sees it with being this. replaced with a second kind of despotism. Yes. Well, actually, too, because you've got both Stalinism and fascism, which are very different and yet very similar. Very well, they're very similar. To the people, they're the same. That's yeah. correct. It's but, still the sword and force versus yeah. reason and, and... The philosophy behind it uh, is... The only third way mm-hmm. is Nazism, which is fascism married to socialism. Yeah. Uh, because okay. it really is, because it's state socialism. Yeah, I mean, it's national... Nationalism with totalitarianism versus what Marxism was in, or Bolshevism was supposed to be this international movement. Well, yeah, and that's why. Well, the Spanish Civil War is a great example of that because you've got those both two forces fighting each other for control of this country, and both are bad. Yes, and see, there and therein lies the problem, and it forces good people to choose sides, thinking, well, they're really bad, but this is okay. Because yes. uh, even those who call themselves Republicans in that R, little R sense, mm-hmm. in, in terms of the proponents of a republic, uh, did horrible things in that. 
Absolutely. So just because you say you're for a republic does not mean you're not using force and the power right. of the sword. Well, yeah, it's because in many uh, would, would grow, go towards socialism. Uh, I mean, Hemingway was one of them. The, the socialists, because they were the establishment, they were voted on in Spain. So therefore you're thinking, well, that's got to be the legitimate ones because this is what the people wanted. The others are just, Franco and the others, they just didn't like the outcome, so they revolted. Well, that's an oversimplification. Well, there's time. there's truth to that. That's correct. That's 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 why but, I was able to gain traction. What people don't realize is that what we tend to forget is that when you vote to give the government power, they never want to give they it. They never give it back. That's right. And that's a problem. And that's why a republic is set up the way it is. It's supposed to allow the people to retain as much power as that's possible. Right. It has built-in expiration dates. And in this case here, it was, well, no, we don't agree with that, so we're going right. to kill you. So, you know, it, it's very much a truism throughout history as well, uh, in that, uh, you know, history is replete and, and full and overflowing with examples of force and the sword imposing things. Mm-hmm. So you have so. to learn through the experiences yes. in an Emersonian way. Yes, you must learn through the experiences, but you have to live them. You have to apply what you've learned. You have to resist, to use a uh, cliched term now, although right. you, you know there is no more resistance now that the other party is in power. Right, right. right. Resistance you were resisting a, an individual. It's like, well, yeah, but he, no matter what, he's going to be gone someday. Right. So and he still won. What's the point of resisting? I mean, if you want to resist, you have to resist the institution. Right. People can actually... The Which implication is, you know, of Spanish resistance. Civil War is a great example. That's what they did. They said, right. I don't like you that you got that you won, so we will resist and we'll get a group of our friends together and... Well, and the implication boom, boom. of resistance in that sense is, well, are you talking treason or rebellion? Because, you know, really, what it, what's your end game there? That's right. Yeah. Armed resistance? What's yeah. You know, so or is it just like, something you carry you, on your tongue? What, what do you resist? I don't understand. I mean... If he proposes something, it still has to go through Congress, so... Right, there's only so much an executive order can do. Yeah. But it, even today, but yeah, we, they, they do too much. Yeah. Right. And, and those are always judicially challengeable. Uh, and trust me, somebody will. They always do. Uh, so there are processes in place... Yeah. To, to the, the issue of resistance Because is, the Republic has put them in place. That's correct, because the yeah. system is there that allows for that. Uh, that's why the whole concept of resist was, so this is just to make you feel better. Exactly. Uh, it's yes. just to make you think that you actually have some authority when you don't. Well, it's also trying to use force, uh, non-governmental force, to achieve your aim. So it's it's it may sound good and righteous, but it's yeah. not. Well, yeah, I mean, it's making yourself feel better. It's... It's a way of showing your individuality by being like everyone else. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> Love the paradox there. That's yeah, the whole, again, uh, I'm going to get a tattoo and be an individual because all of my friends are doing it. Exactly. But, you know, one of the things I want to uh, talk about this in, in a little more, because it does, I think mean, it relates basically very well to both of your quotes, because uh, one is about, you know, Martin, yours is about the ability to speak, to speak truth. That is only possible in a republic. And you, if you can't learn... Francis, from the mistakes of others from the past, if you don't apply those, you don't live the experience, you will give up your republic, your truth, your ability to, to speak and act, 
to the despot or the potential despot. Uh, so I think, I think it's a great uh, out of left field because you first look at it and think, well, how does that? But it really is. It really is tying both of them together. But one of the things I find most interesting about this quote and about these theories of how government works is that you know when you look at what is behind each one, uh, you know, it says uh, the two main theories of government in our world. One rests on righteousness. One appeals to reason. And one is exemplified in the Republic. So these are principles of the Enlightenment uh, to, to mm-hmm. a good, yeah. good, mm-hmm. uh, good yeah. amount. Although this goes farther because, as, as you know, one of my knocks against the, the figures of the Enlightenment was that they were a bunch of elitist bastards. It was only for certain people. Yeah. And which is very much, in my opinion, it, it's a betrayal of the Enlightenment to, to do that. Uh, but, you know, they didn't see it that way. And, and certainly he's just lived through Wilson. Yes, he just lived through that cluster frack. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, and Wilson is an elitist. Very much so. He's a vile racist, as you, you very much yeah. like to put. And then the other, uh, it, it rests on force, and it appeals to the sword, and is represented by despotism. You know, they're really, it, in many ways, it is the political version of God versus the devil, uh, truth versus lies, right versus wrong, the respect for the dignity of the human person mm-hmm. versus people are things to be used. And it's in just those few sentences, those three traits juxtaposed uh, on either side, just ties up so much of what we talk about here very much in so. Snakes yeah. and Otters. Yeah. And it's just a phenomenal thing. It's just, you know, call it a, a God moment that I just happened to, to open up or you just call it, well, that's just coincidence. You know, maybe so. But you know, I also like to say God... Uh, uh, You're moved by the Holy just God yeah. when God wants to stay anonymous, you know. Yeah. But it really is that... Uh, tr- it's one of those things that is universally true. In my opinion, you know, just as we talked about with with your statement, Francis, being a universal thing, mm-hmm. so is yours, uh, Martin. And, and that the ability, to, you know, liberty and the ability to tell people the things that they don't want to hear is so important. Because honestly, you can't have a republic without that. You can't have dialogue without that. And as soon as you start curbing that, you are immediately into despotism. Despotism does not have to be imposed by the government. And that's something we are still learning. That's right. That is not it's something that, that... Just because it often is does not mean it always is. Right. And this is a new thing. Because in the past it always was. Mm-hmm. By whoever held political power. It's not true anymore. Now, you know, institutions that are privately held are doing this, sometimes on behalf of the government, uh, you know, because they agree with whatever the current government says, or to get somebody else in power. And this form of despotism is even worse because it's even more pervasive than a top-down edict from, from a despot. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's odd, and it, it's almost like I'm voluntarily giving up my humanity to be a part of this giant machine 
and I'm fine with that. I was like, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. you're not you're not supposed to be fine with that, right? It's very much an, uh, it's it, 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 not to denigrate the Japanese because that's not the way I mean, but in a way, it's almost a very Japanese way of looking at things. Uh, Japanese from pre World War Two, right? Yeah, uh, the post Bushido modernized. Japan's industrial state of the it times. Is, well, no, no, no. Not, of, of the pre-war times. Yeah, yeah it's not even post-Bushido because it's, it'd be very much in line with yeah. that, but it's where you are devoted to the leader. It's very much a North Korean thing. Let's use them instead. Yeah. Because that's a more, uh, red, you know, dear leader is what they call uh, the, the leader of North Korea. What's uh Kim, Kim Jong-un, also known Kim. as Little Fat Fellow. Yes, yes Little Fat Guy. Yeah. Yeah, Kim right. Jong number un. That's right. So, uh, in by all, uh, by all uh, news or, or reports, his sister's actually the, the one that we should all be scared of. Because uh, she's... Yes, there's been talk about that for some time. Yeah. Uh, wicked, wicked. Yes. Uh, but, you know, when you are subsumed to that cult of personality... Uh, that is such a dangerous thing, and I feel like that's exactly, you know, you're talking about giving up your humanity, that's exactly the path that I think so many people are on, left or right, is that they invest everything into a leader, and... Or even a system. Or a system. You know, the the Facebook machine... um, Yeah. Or the CDC, or who, or, you know, what... Yeah. there's so many on the really on the right. There's probably just the one. I mean, Trump really is the the epitome of that. Uh, but on, on the left, at the current times, yes. at the current times, yeah, I'm talking about current times. Um, but on the left, there seem to be so many different variables uh, that it could be. But they're all still doing the same thing, and they're all politically aligned. So it looks like, oh yeah, there's a lot of different things. No, you're still doing the same damn thing. Yeah, and the aims are still the same, and all of it has the same result. It's a dehumanization of everyone. At the you know, it's yeah. a power to the state you're, at the expense of the people. Yeah, you're voluntarily dehumanizing yourself, but that causes you then to view everyone else in a dehumanized way, also. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's scary stuff all around when you start thinking about the what these things mean ultimately. And, you know, that's where my mind goes. That's why, even in the most absurd things, I like to pause and say, no, you shouldn't do that, because if you do, you may not get there immediately, but ultimately it means you can do this, which is the, you know, it sounds absurd when you say it. Uh, And again, I don't have a perfect example, but, you know, if if you say that we allow one side to do this, it ultimately means, yes, you can basically do this, because then there are no limits. Yeah. You've just not gone any farther than this particular one here. But if you remove the limits here, what's to stop you from going here? It's like when you take away um, morality, uh, whether it be religious-based or or natural morality, from any system, then anything goes. You know, just because if we say that all morality is just because it's what we agree on, well, no, what if we all agree that murder is okay? You know... So that that fungible. Yeah. I mean, what if you agree that it's okay that in some cases no woman older than twelve could be outside by herself or get on a plane without a male escort, right? Or drive, or drive, or go to school, right? 
We, that's, if we all agree that, that's that's a morality that we've all agreed to. Uh, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> you know, yeah. there is a part of the world that's agreed that that's morality. Right. That's right. There's part of and the it's not just agreed, it's mandated because of, of, of religious views, but it's enforced by the state. It's not even a social convention. You know, in this country we talk about social conventions for, for a lot of this stuff, but eventually those social conventions have to be enforced by law. Yeah. That's how the civil rights movement uh, comes about. We, we started agreeing, talking about these things as social conventions that we want to codify. Because we need, because we recognize that these are moral issues. Now, again, you, know, you may you may make the argument that well, aren't you kind of having it both ways? But you know, at some point, though, I have to say no because we didn't have one side silencing the other to keep that truth from being heard, from that, that view from being heard. Uh, so, no, I, you know, the principle still holds that liberty is the ability to say something you don't want to hear. Brilliant, sir. Well done, well done. That puts us at the one hour mark. Well, and it well, has to be time to stop then. Has to be time to finish this bad boy out then, right? Right. So get Franny, to what's it. next? Franny, God. I'm well, I'll call him what... Marty. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Fair though, Franny sounds a little bit more effeminate than Marty. <laughs> Skip a bit, brother. Because <laughs> next episode, we're going to go, we're going to be weaned on a pickle. Am I right? Yes. We're going to be talking Calvin Coolidge. We already have a quotation from him here. Yeah, somebody we should know in the modern times, but oftentimes don't because, hey, he was silent cow. He, you know, he's got that reputation. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about the genius of the man who really, by theory, should have not never become president and yet has uh, led through a really interesting time. So we're going to go about the man, the myth, the legend, the time, and all that great stuff next episode. Calvin Coolidge. Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes publish every Friday at noon Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And leave us a comment or review because that helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel.